Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. The long-awaited interview with Seb Coos. We get into his goals for this year, what was his hardest ever stage race, as well as some other interesting topics like what's the development pipeline like for riders in North America. Currently, as always, this show is supported by our show partner, Zwift. We have had a hectic recording schedule the last couple of weeks with the previews and the start of the season. I'm actually going to have to hop on Zwift now. We just recorded the UA team preview and we have last call our first ever LRCP Zwift group ride this evening, 6 p.m. UK time, 7 p.m. Europe time. But if you miss it, don't worry. We have them every Tuesday throughout February at the same time. So I'm sure we'll see you there on Zwift at some point. Welcome to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Sepp Kuss, one of the best climbers in the world, recently off his Tour de France stage win in Andorra, uh, where I now also live. I remember that day, which we'll talk about in this podcast. Sepp, busy off-season. How does your off-season differ from, say, a Wout van Aert who's trying to prepare for classics? Are you... Have you still got a big block to come or are you now into stage racing coming up in two weeks? Um, I think for me, uh, well, first of all, <laughs> thanks for having me on the, the show, Patrick. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it still feels like a few weeks away, the, the start of the season and everything. Um, but I, I still do have quite a bit of time. I don't start till end of, end of February with some, some one-day races in France. Um, and even starting then it's, it's still a more or less relaxed approach. So, um, for now I haven't thought too much about what's coming, just, just getting the, the last good weeks of, of training in. And then from there, it's actually pretty busy. So, yeah, I mean, I looked at last year, you did two of Welter <clears throat> and you often do, you do a lot of stage racing. I swear you must've been out of home like 90% of the year going like, Dauphiné altitude altitude camp Tour de France. When is your break? Do you have any break throughout the year? Is it sort of before the Dauphiné, and then once it's Dauphiné, it's just a full run of three months of racing. I think last year it was yeah around that time um, a bit before. Actually, it was it was in between Catalonia and, and Romandie last year, which was kind of an awkward time to have it. I think this year I would rather push it further back um, sometime after after Romandy just to be a bit more fresh before the tour. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, now that you say that it, it is a lot of, <laughs> a lot of racing and a lot of days away from home, but um, I think each, each race that I did, there was a lot of space in between. So I, and most of that time I was, I was home and, and could do the, you know, training and, and just be comfortable at home. But, uh, you're right during the time, I think it was before the Dauphiné, then Dauphiné, and then in between that race and, and the tour, it was a lot of, of training camps and, and a longer stretch away. You just mentioned that you're doing a couple of one day races. I was looking before you did, did you do Emilia or Lombardia? I think you did uh, an Italian one day at the end of last year. Uh, last year I did, uh, Amelia and, um, Milano Torino. That's right. You yep. hadn't done a one day race. I swear for like two years. <laughs> was that just, 
the way it panned out because you needed to be often matching primos in stage races. And and I was thinking, then I was thinking, I was like, your best results have come on the hardest mountain days. You haven't won on like a Jebel Hafeet, just 120 watts, then a 20 minute power test. Like Dauphiné stage five, really hard. Vuelta, super hard. And Tour de France, hard melting mountain stage. Do you think, yeah, why is it that you haven't done a lot of one day racing? Is that something you want to do more of or is it just, and do you think you can be good at it? Like, I know you didn't go to the Olympics, but a course like that or Lombardia, do you think you can be competitive at them because you descend well too? Um, I, I, for sure, I'd like to be, but um, I, I think, uh, yeah, to answer the first question, a, a lot of it comes down to just the, the scheduling. And um, I, I think naturally, I'm, I'm more of a stage race guy, um, whether that's a week or, or three weeks, whatever. Um, and so that, that was always my normal fit. And we have a lot of guys on the team that are really good for the, the one day races, especially the ones in the, in the spring, which I've, I've never done. Um, but I I think a lot of it also is, uh, you know, even at the beginning of a stage race, I never know exactly how I'm going to feel. I never know how to set myself up for that one day and know with, with a good percent chance, like, okay, I'm going to be uh, good today. Um, but it's for sure something I'd like to experience more. Um, and so it's, it's nice that I can do a bit more of that this year. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I think, uh, yeah, all my best results have come, uh, either later in a race or on a stage with a lot of hard climbing. Um, which is actually funny because before, at least when I came, more straight from mountain biking background, I was more of the guy that would could handle a super easy day and then one effort at the end. Um, and I think now as I've developed a bit more, it's, it's maybe a bit more the other way around where I need a bit of a harder day, but, uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> a nice flat stage. And then one, one 20 minute climb at the end. Uh, yeah. A few years ago would, would be right up my alley. I mean, to be honest, you're still like pretty good at them. Like usually go up against Yates and Pagacha and like Adam Yates. Yeah. He hasn't, isn't won a grand tour, but like on a 20 minute climb after an easy stage, he's actually pretty lethal. Um, on yep. those sort of climbs. but even were you surprised on Valdepenas de Jaén, the stage finish there, the, the real like one K 11% climb in the Vuelta, the Primoz one, when you did that lead out. Cause that's, one of the punchiest things I've seen you do was that was that just good timing from you because I know you hit the right hand corner really fast and undercut him was it like really good power or you just right place right time good timing I think for that climb it was more just because I was at the front and, <laughs> and could uh yeah because the the corner that you're talking about it was if I remember correct it was a pretty slow speed corner and and then it's just the full uh, accordion effect. So if, if I came out of that first, then that probably, I mean, it's also hard to say because I think right after I finished or before I even finished, then then Primo's came over the top of me. So it's it's hard to <laughs> compare it when you're, when a guy like that is, is doing the, the same effort because for him, it's, it's, it's uh, 
like like double the speed. <laughs> is three minute powers okay? Uh, like flesh, yeah, we record, yeah. But yeah, no, yeah. did you just talk going sort of honing in on that welter? And I'm thinking about that there. How much do you think? And you're one of the only writers that sort of does this. Lopez had a little bit too, where he was writing a bit for Mars. Well, actually, quite a lot of times for Mars, but then protecting his own GC. How hard is it, or how much did it take out of you when you're doing an effort like that? And then you, I presume, you're still writing then as best you can to finish that. To like, I presume you didn't just stop and do 180 watts for the rest of that climb to protect your own GC. How much time does it cost, or did it cost? You think across the three weeks? Um, it's it's hard to say. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's not like I finish the job and then go as easy as I can to, yeah. to the finish in those situations. Um, and, and normally I'm, I'm far enough into the, into the last few K's that it's, it's not a crazy effort to just make it to the finish at whatever speed. Um, but I, I think for me, it's, it's different because as, as if I know that I have a job to do that day, then, then my finish line, is a bit shorter, <laughs> yeah. if you will. So me- mentally it's easier because you say, okay, I, I do my, my best to this point or to the point where I can't, um, you know, follow whatever move there is that um, for, for me to do, do my job or, or I just do it to the best I can here and then make it. So um, I, I think that's the difference, but yeah, it's, it's really hard to say how much, time i i would lose uh here and there i mean maybe in the end it would be the same amount of time because it's it's the def- different mental mental approach to the the final do you feel any like pressure or like anytime you ever mention i'm targeting gc at um catalonia like vela news or someone or an american outlet will be like sepcus <laughs> next american gc like it, I don't know that they, they obviously every, every country wants to have like a GC hopeful um, and you're the best American sort of climber and probably GC rider right now. Um, like where, where does that stack up for you in your priorities? And then there's the team priorities with Primoz, you know, and Jonas for the tour where you're like, okay, on the, on your day, you're like top three climber in the world. And then, but then you got to do all the TT work. Like in your mind right now, where does GC rank in your like goals for this season? For me, it, it ranks actually pretty high just because um, I think from a motivational standpoint, that's, that's where you, you get the most out of yourself training wise, uh, approaching the race, uh, being focused during the race, it's, it's for me, at least it's good to approach it that way where I think, okay, I'm, I need to get the, the, the best out of myself at, at every, um, facet of, of the race. And then from there, you know, I, I know that in, in some races it's, it's, it's not realistic where you have a bad day and you're not in the picture anymore, but at least from the onset, that's how I like to, to approach things. So for me, it's, it's motivating to do it, but at the same time, uh, that's, that's not all there is in cycling. Um, 
and and for sure the uh you know in the u.s they they want the next uh uh lance or whoever and and the the cycling fans in the u.s also really you know a, a gc rider is more tangible to them that's yeah that's yeah. something that's okay yeah i watch the tour once a year and and i know who wins the the gc but the the one day races or or a, a stage win from the break that's maybe not as tangible to the the general audience so that's um, what that's what we're always thinking about like we look at a rider like Lutschenko and if we're doing a preview for a grand tour, me and Benji are like, okay, he can come eighth or seventh or something at the tour at best. Um, but we know Lutschenko can win a state. He won a stage in 2020 from the break. Like what's, the, what's the trade-off? Um, and for Astana and him top 10 at the tour was like, that's what they want more, almost more than, or no, much more than a stage win. Um, Will you ride differently? Do you think? Because I know, sometimes when when you've been you've you've gone for stages with a really good approach, where you're like, I'm going for the stage, and I'm going to put all out to actually win the stage. If you can't win the stage, you know you, you'll sort of die trying almost. Whereas you look at other riders like Kelderman or Valverde, who even Valverde sometimes rides a bit more conservatively to not go like over his limit. Will you be less aggressive, do you think, in one-week races particularly this year, not following moves to sort of maybe protect like a top five position on GC or you still just lay it on the line like on her feet or Volta 2000 or Coordinate, whichever it was? Uh, I, no, it's a, a good question actually. But I think for me, uh, that that's the other thing. I don't want to lose what I, I like about racing just to – be a GC rider. I mean, for me, um, uh, to be successful as a GC rider means actually being on the podium or, or winning, uh, a, a week long race or a three week race. Um, but I would rather in, enjoy the race, uh, try and win if I can, than just, just be there consistently. Um, but on the, other side, I think I also need to learn how to race consistently to uh, know my limits more or less because it's also how you win races is by riding within your limits at the right moments. Um, so I, I shouldn't approach everything as if I need to win or I'm going to win. Um, I think it's it's both. But at, at the end of the day, I don't want to change who I am as a rider or how I like to, to ride just to get a top 10. I think on the team you're on as well, like you're not a team that needs the points to avoid relegation yeah. or anything like that. Actually winning races is better than coming third or second instead of third on like the UCI ranking. So on your team, that, that makes sense as well. Um, mm -hmm. I guess. So we will see, Sepkus GC at some point, <laughs> at some point this year. All right. And the TT bike, do you, I swear some, you fooled me in Romandy prologue and Vuelta. I thought, holy fuck, he's fixed it. Like he was, <laughs> <laughs> you were going, you, and the Romandy one was like, I think you were top 10 or something. Is it, is it a position like, 
have you been working a lot on the TT? I know Yumbo, you guys got really good expertise with it. Is that something that almost, if you fix that, you're automatically almost moving into like, really like top elite GC contender range, like Jonas TT. Like, sure, does his improvement yeah. on the TT give you a lot of hope that you can do that as well? Yeah, I don't know. I think the the short prologues, at least those two you mentioned, uh, like. 40%, it was just uphill and on the pedals. So that, okay. that definitely helped my, <laughs> my case. But um, actually, there was the, the first TT in the tour this year. I actually, for me, it was okay. It was, you know, I, I actually went into it and just tried to ride like uh, fast, but, but easy. And then I had a decent, I mean, nothing amazing, but, but right with a lot of the, the good climbers so for me that was a good result the only one i've really had in a longer tt but um yeah i don't know i think for me it's it's just so different from my my climbing style right. and and my my flexibility and strength uh you know it's something i still need to work on just in general is is the seated strength the flexibility and mobility um, I, I think that's more important than the, the effort itself, it, at least where I'm at right now, um, just to be comfortable on the bike. Cause when I'm comfortable, then, then I can, uh, do, do my best effort. But I think that's the main limiting factor. Right. Okay. And have they got a 3d model of you yet at the, at the uni or. I think they do actually. I, I remember doing some sort of some sort of scan uh, a couple of years ago. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but I, I've done I've done track testing a few times, which was good because it was pretty uh, realistic, and you know I could feel the differences in the different position. And um, yeah, I, I definitely have all all the tools I need to to get better. It's just still putting in the time, getting in the experience getting in the mental state during the race, which is also important, I think. Yeah. And so pivoting away from TT now to a question about your peers and maybe yourself right now, who do you think are the top five climbers in the world? And that includes peak was on like a Jabel Hafeet easy stage. It includes like, being able to do it after a long, hard day, like sort of Pagachas almost has no drop off after a hard day. Who do you think are the top five? Um, well, if, if I include Primos and, and Pogachar, then, yeah, that's, uh, that's it. They're, they're, I mean, those are, lost. those are shoe wins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, yeah. Lopez. Yeah. He's always, always good. Underrated. Um, I think. I think he's the best yeah. at 50, 50 minutes to altitude. I think he's almost untouchable. Yeah. I, I think, you know, so like on the shorter ones, he's maybe not as, he's a yeah. bit like me, maybe just not, not always right there on the really short ones, but uh, yeah, he's super strong. Um, yeah. Yates, either, either one. Sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, yeah. Um, You're not putting yourself in. 
I don't know. I I don't know where where I'd stack up. I don't know. Like I look at <laughs> I, I think Col- at the bottom Col- of every Lalo's? time I think oh, all these guys are good. These guys are going <laughs> to do something today. Who knows who's going to be <laughs> I reckon you're being a bit humble there. I reckon uh, on like a long hard proper mountain stage. Maybe not, yeah, maybe not on just like a a 15 minute or su- Milano Torino Superga effort, but like yeah, on the Tour de France ones, yeah, it depends. Like, yeah, as you said, like yeah. you, and Lope, you and Lopez, when it gets to 50 minutes and altitude, like Col de la Lowe's, which he won, yeah. like Hamonetero was super long and steep. Yeah. Oh, was that Covadonga? I don't know which one. The one you waved to Primoz on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't, you improve there. But yeah, the Yates is, they kind of, but then Sunday is like, Yates was so strong on Velofique, almost too strong for Bernal, like putting him in difficulty in a welter on stage nine. And then on Jamonitero, which is like a steep climb, and he's like 58 kilos or something, he's struggling. So, yeah, he, he's another. It, it just goes day. show. Yeah. What, what do you think that is? Is it is it almost impossible to pinpoint? Like, I'm, I'm sure you guys have smart sports scientists. You're always looking at the data. Is you, you got your feeding you know, dialed usually. Is there anything you can pinpoint? Is is it as easy as I only slept six hours last night or I slept funny or I missed I missed a bit on two days ago and then lost like didn't refuel then. Like do you know what it is if you have a bad day when you can only do like only do like five point six for for eighteen or twenty? Uh I I think for the bad day it's I think it's just little little things building up each each day to to a certain point okay at least in the you know later in the race um you know if if you have a a crash maybe it's not a a hard crash but maybe it's it's bothering you each day and then it it leads to one point or you know each day your nutrition isn't isn't really perfect then then maybe that culminates in in something um but yeah, other than that, I, it's, it's hard to say. It just comes down to the the individual. I mean, yeah, just speaking for myself, uh, you know, trying to taking care of everything. Um, and then, yeah, you, you, you can have a, a day that's, that's not what you expected. So yeah, tough, tough to pinpoint for sure. Yeah, I know. Like, and then some guys are just this, like not spectacular, but just, the same like almost yeah. every every stage yeah. um i wanted to talk about just u.s focused you came through like showing out at the tour of utah american race and mike woods i know not american canadian he he sort of showed himself to i don't know if they're called garmin sharp or whatever they were called then uh cannondale at sort of tour of alberta etc tour of california is gone Tour of Utah is gone. I'm not sure what other races are gone. How does an American U23 get noticed by a world tour team now if they're not on Hargens? Yeah, it's, it's definitely harder. I think um, from from the U23 side, uh, at least the way the, the sport is going now where they're they're scouting so much younger and and at certain races, um, if, if they're in a good setup where they're getting to do races in, in Europe and, um, and getting noticed there, then I, I think it's for them, it's still, it's still okay. Um, 
but they they do miss then that that showcase in the U.S. to to go against uh, the other good guys. Um, so I, I think that's for for the younger guys. That's the the only problem. And then yeah, it's it's, it's a matter of being on that uh, uh, a national team or or Hoggins Berman, um, and from from my own side i was never in that pipeline as much i i just my my first year on the road was my last year as a u23 um so i did some races in europe with with the u23 program but they were my my first races i i had i was nowhere in the races I, <laughs> it was just to see how hard it was basically so i i think on the other side you can come from a lot of different disciplines and let's say you're, you're from the U S and you're doing uh, gravel or, or mountain bike. That's also a big, big draw now for, for teams and, and recruiting. Everybody wants the next, uh, you know, diamond to un unpolished gym. So maybe they're drawing from those other, other outlets. So for sure it's, it's not dead in the U S it's just a totally different, uh, uh, scene than, than in, in Europe. But at the end of the day, it's, it's still, I think most important to, to race in Europe. Did you though, you're on rally. When did you, was it before the tour of Utah stage two second on that stage up to snow basin that you were already talking mm -hmm. to world tour teams or was that like, you did that performance and then world tour team started knocking. Um, it was, it was before actually it was in, um, in tour California, uh, okay. had, had a few good days there. And, and that was kind of the, the first, well, yeah, that, that was the, the first real introduction to, uh, to the team that that's where I met, uh, Grisha. Um, okay. and, and from there we were, we were always talking, and actually, I think during Utah, they, they still weren't sure. Um, I'd already done some testing with them. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the conversation started before that. That's why as an Australian, I worry with the pandemic, the Tour Down Under hasn't happened properly at World Tour level for a couple of years. Harold Sun Tour not happening with World Tour teams. Like for the Australians, it's either be a super elite talent who's just obviously going to get a world tour contract because of his world's performance, like Lucas Plapp mm -hmm. or Luke Plapp, or yeah, yeah you got to be on the track or something. But if you're just, just that step below, or maybe a bit of a, maybe you're like 22, 23. Yep. Yeah. You're not, you, you're not quite there yet, but you know, you could be quite good. I worry for yeah. those guys. Yeah, for sure. And that, I think that's where all the, the hidden talent is actually, I think it's more in oh, yeah. that uh, bracket than in the, the 17, 18 year olds that have been training with the power meter since they were uh, six, you know, for me, that's not uh, where you want to get your, your talents from. It's, it's more in this bracket where, okay, this guy, he's, he's late to it. He was doing another sport, yada, yada. And then, and then for, for that group, they, they need those races, those good, um, uh, senior races to actually get noticed because they're not going to do a U23 race or, you know, so 
uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the, the, the group that the absence of those races misses out on. And it's crazy when you hear stories about how guys like might get an introduction to a world tour team because they did well in a Strava segment and then someone sent yeah. it to a director and the director's like, Oh, that's pretty good. Like you bring him in for like yeah. to ride with us for a week. Like that <laughs> stuff actually happens. Um, yeah, yeah. it's not like football. It's not like, I mean, I know, are you a big American sports fan? Like of, uh, not, not so much. I, I'm, I'm a hockey guy, but, <laughs> oh, okay. but yeah. But like scouting in the US for you know football is just insane. It's a whole industry in itself. Yeah, yeah. Cycling oh, so it's different. Exactly. Yeah. I'll give I'll give a free tip to a world tour team. Pull them all from the Burkina Faso. Just write him down. <laughs> just write him. He's good. This, that guy's really good. Um, okay. Your hardest day in a race on the bike, a man who's won really, really hard stages. I want to know your answer because I have a guess. I have a guess, but I want to know what your hardest ever stage or race was. Um, well, I, I can think of a lot of hard days where I, I didn't do well at all. But <laughs> <laughs> true, yeah. If you if you if you do well, then yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't feel that bad. Well, I would still. Feel yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I I think the hardest day, like where I just was suffering all day and 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 had to work for it. Was probably, um, yeah, Dauphine 2020, the the fifth stage. Yes, it was, my guess is correct. Yeah, it, it was just super hard. I mean, I felt I felt really good, but I was I was suffering absolutely the whole whole day. And the only nice part of the race was the neutral start, which was downhill. <laughs> but they they didn't even neutralize. Well, they neutralized it fully downhill and then we stopped at the very bottom and then went straight into a three K climb. So that was uh from from then on it was <laughs> absolute misery. Yeah. <laughs> For those who don't remember that stage the day before or maybe two days before Primoz crashed out, Buchman crashed out, there was a sketchy gravel descent, like loads of people went down um Maybe even Kreuzweig, I can't remember. Yeah. And so GC was completely blown up. Primoz was going to probably walk GC. And so this fifth stage was just the not, it was one of the hardest stages 155Ks, Megev to Megev. It had the combination that this year's two, or last year's two now, stage eight had of Rom and Colombier. But instead of being sort of in the last 30Ks, it was in the first 60 and the race just exploded. It, it's, I went and look at like the the kilojoules in the first three hours of that stage. It's just mental. That's why I thought it was the heart. I, I was hoping you'd say that because <laughs> the energy expenditure on that stage is mental. And Danny Martinez ended up winning winning GC. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope I'm not sure if they finish at the, the Altaport near Megev this year in the tour. But is that? Well, I've got you down for Col du Grenon. Is that too early? Is it too early to put you down for a tour stage? Have you have you looked at the stages in depth and circled any? No, I've I've seen that stage. That one looks pretty uh, okay, pretty impressive. <laughs> I, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I think the one you. to Majev though, it's it's like uh, not, nothing crazy though. So no, I don't know. Yeah, I think Sprint, you and Lopez maybe. for for that Grenon stage look look pretty good. <laughs> um. Do you remember that 
Andorran stage. I remember because it was like I was in the outback in Queensland. There was this hot <laughs> wind. I couldn't believe I never felt yeah. it before. This hot wind really went all the way from Spain up to where you guys came in at uh, the French border. When Quintana went to take the souvenir, Henri de Grange at the top of Port Danville. And by the way, it's, it's a huge, it's a big highway by European standards. It's a, it's a huge road. Um, yeah. Were you like, there is no shot. He stays away on this descent, 58 kilos. He's going to get caught. Yeah, no way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, but it, it was a nice, it was a nice movie made because he was the only smart one that, that attacked at the right moment with the wind and everybody else was, yeah, flapping around in this, because uh, yeah, like you said, the wind was, I've never been there with, with wind that, really? that crazy. Yeah. And that's up where Sepp's lived for a long time or just above where he's lived for a long time in Andorra. But yeah, Quintana, there was a hairpin. Everyone was in the headwind and then went round and then you got tailwind for a, a little bit through this hairpin and Quintana just launched it. But going, so Wout brought Quintana back on that really, really fast descent. You're recovering. Did you, who did you think would be the main guys on the climb? I know Alaphilippe had done like a lot of work and then on Von 2 as well, he sort of faded. Was it, did you know it would be Valverde and Godu who'd be the guys to sort of mark early on Bechelis? Yeah, I think uh, for me, I was thinking Gadu because he had a lot of teammates there. They were okay. they were riding uh, the front the whole time, either to get him back in GC or because he felt good. So um, I, I think, yeah, he, he and Valverde for sure were the, the guys that I was was looking at the most. And coming into Andorra, <clears throat> like the descent, you, you eventually gap Valverde, the descent into town. Did you like? Do you did you know that well, or is it the fact that it's not like training because they've got the whole roads closed? You can take different lines. Uh, I presume it helped to some degree being familiar with it. Yeah, it definitely helped to to know the road. Um, just in general, you know, yeah. if if there's anything that's super tricky, but but you're right. In in training, I'm not uh, really taking any risks. Just kind of cruising down. Um, usually still recovering from going up the, the other side. So uh, it, it, I, it would help me for sure to know it, but um, either way in a race, when, when you're going so much faster, it's, it's always going to feel a lot different. And I think one other iconic moment for you this season, which was a, a nice teammate moment when Kovadonga Roglic has finished, is descending back. Did you two say anything to each other when you you outsprinted the the bunch for second on the stage when he descended? Did you say anything or just smile at each other? No, he was he was yelling. He was saying, "Oh, oh really?" Go, go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, well, this is this is embarrassing because he's probably like, "What are these skinny idiots doing sprinting up this hill?" I finished uh, five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was crazy that i think he, he got a lot of stick i'll admit it, i gave we gave him a lot of stick for the descent attack and the crash um yeah but then on covidonga he followed bernal when we were like oh surprising but he sort of backed off bernal but that's i think that was the best performance of last year in my mind in terms of just because that valley you were in the group with haig and movistar chasing Surely mm-hmm. they they had some domestics pinning it, chasing after Bernal. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, for sure we went, I think Bahrain was pulling and we went super, super slow down the descent. So they, they probably took a minute <laughs> on the descent, <laughs> 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 like really, but, uh, uh, yeah, in the Valley, we rode pretty fast, but it was so rainy and, and dicey. I think maybe it was, it was better to be two guys, but for sure they had to put in a huge, huge effort on that, on that Valley before the climb. Cause it's always kind of slightly up. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think where, where the, the group behind lost it was for sure the descent. <laughs> well, that's what I think. Like, there's a lot of, like, I don't, th- I don't think Master's a good descender. Um, I saw that when he was chasing Roglic and Lopez on that stage. World. I actually think Pagach is not brilliant on the descents. Not brilliant. Like, Basque Country, when Roglic gapped him with Godou, and then Lombardia, Masnada caught him on the last descent. It looked a bit weird. I reckon that is one place where you guys at the tour can use Jonas and Roglic maybe to try on a descent rather than a climb. Anyway, that's my armchair, armchair DSC. We'll, we'll, have, we'll give it a go. <laughs> have you got to try it somewhere? As an occasional listener of to the podcast, do you have any parting words to us armchair, armchair director sportifs that, that we miss? in the hectic mountain stages that certain things that really influence things or that we miss, like just maybe the head fog that comes with being five hours in that you can't make decisions properly. Yeah. I I think a lot of it is, is knowing the, yeah. What's going on for the rider, uh, you know, like you said, the mental fatigue along with the physical, um, I think, and a lot of times either way on, on TV, even if, uh, a guy is, is really suffering, they, they can still look, uh, capable of, of doing more maybe. And, uh, and yeah, we, we spend so much time on the bike that maybe we, we don't look like we're on the limit because we're so, uh, into that technique or focus, but, uh, it's, it's sometimes hard to make decisions like, like you would when you're clear headed yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and have, having more energy, but, uh, and also with, with things like race radios, I mean, most of the time when you're up in the last few K of some monster climb, there, there's no reception anyways. So you, you can barely, <laughs> or, or their feed, their of of the races is so delayed that they have no idea what's going on so i think um yeah a lot of the time people think that it's it's some call from the radio or a bad call from the radio but a lot of the time it's it's just up to the the rider themselves okay i'll try and bear it in mind but i'll probably will forget when me and benji (laughs) join diagrams of exactly the game theory of what the rider should have done um, and why they should be exactly done. I'll bear that in mind. But thanks very much for coming on the Lantern Rouge Cycle Podcast, Sep. The best of luck for this season. We already have you penciled for the Grenon stage win. You'll take Giro stage win next year. <laughs> then you'll have all three, then GC podiums. You yep. have any time for that. Yeah, then, then I can relax. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then you complete it. Thanks a bunch, Patrick. It was really fun. <laughs>